From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is the Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Let's start our hour by going to two callers who have phoned through. Um, I've got Warwick on the other line, I think. Go ahead, Warwick. Yeah, how's it going? Good to get through. Yeah, good to have you on. Go go for your life. So now I got an email from the uh, New South Wales government saying that I've got an overdue fine that I didn't know. <laughs> and it's a... Uh, a fine for not voting in the last election. So failed to vote legislative assembly general election. When now my problem is I went to Belmain and they didn't have my address. So I had to fill out the envelope and then I voted and then she ticked my name off and put the vote in. And now I get this fine saying that I haven't voted and I have to pay $120 fine. But now the thing is, where is my vote gone if it didn't get counted? Yeah. You see? This is 18, this is 18 months ago, is it? No, this is... Uh, oh, mine's has failed to vote. Legislative Assembly, date of offence, 25th of March, 2023. So it's the yes and no vote. Oh, it's the referendum that you've been fined for. Yes. Right. And you have no way to prove that she ticked your name off. Well, I went in there. I made a TikTok video on the day of it being in there. So that's the only evidence that I've got of being in there. And then, um, so, but what I want to know, maybe there's other people that have received this fine where they have voted also. That's interesting. Um, And when you think about it, if they are so easily... Uh, discarding your vote. How many other votes have been discarded? Serious votes on this referendum. Oh, exactly. With all the money they spent. And the thing is, I just come back from overseas and I was driving around for three months and then I had to change my name and address, obviously, for the, the voting. So when I went in there, I checked the computer and it was frozen and they said, oh, something must be wrong with your account. And then they said, oh, your driver's license is suspended. And I said, why is it suspended? And they said, because you didn't vote in the last election also. And then I said, but uh, I was overseas at the time. So they didn't send me an email or any letters or anything saying that my license was suspended. So I made a TikTok video warning people and people were writing to me that they'd checked their computer and they also were suspended and never got notified. So if if you crash into a BMW or a Mercedes, insurance is going to say, well, you're driving around in a suspended license and it was up to you to uh, make sure it was current. Yeah. I, I kind of get why they wouldn't, wouldn't alert you to this, but I don't get that you voted, you had your name ticked off, and they don't have a record of that and now you're being fined for it. Have you tried to contact the AEC? Yeah, they said they're going to be, I, I rang up state revenue and everything, so they're going to put in an inquiry. But then I also said I want to inquire where my vote has gone. So uh, I want to get that evidence first to say uh, that they're yeah. going to find me and then I'll do the next step from there. Let's see if we can find out um, whether we've got other Australians who are receiving these fines now. 
maybe they haven't voted in the referendum, but there would be some who are getting what you have got by the sound of it, and uh, they are maintaining that they did vote. Um, as one of my uh, listeners have just said, did you update your address details prior to the referendum, did you? Uh, no, I just, uh, I know I moved and then uh, when you go in there, they say if you're not from this uh, area, yeah. then they send yeah, you, you to another table and cross your name off. Yeah, I understand that. I I've done it before myself. You keep at this. Warwick, can you keep in touch with me and find out what kind of response you get? Because you shouldn't pay that fine. Yeah, 100%. Also, right. uh, I'll talk to you later. I've got contacts inside the royal family that used to look after them. And once the Queen died, they sacked a lot of the staff because Prince Charles didn't want any of the staff of the, of the mother. So they all lost their jobs. Ooh. Change so of the I'll, guard I'll in more ways than one. Yeah, so I'll get that information for you also. That'd be good. Send me send nope. me a text or something. That'd be great, Warwick. Thank you very much for that. I've got Glenn back. Uh, Glenn, who we got cut off with before. Go ahead, Glenn, very quickly. Yeah, I just wanted to come back because I didn't want people thinking I'm not pr proud of the Anzac spirit. I'll always be proud of that, but I don't believe right. it exists in this country anymore. I'll give you an example, a quick example of how depressing I find how quickly our fellow Australians rolled over and complied with what was done to us. I have to have a, a medical every year for my driver's licence to drive these heavy vehicles. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said to me, who's your local doctor? I said, I don't have one. And he said, well, I'm your local doctor now. I want you to go and have all these blood tests and stuff. And I said, what for? And he said, well, you're at an age I can pick up stuff and prolong your life. And I said to him, well, I'm not doing it. And he said, why not? And I said, I don't want you to prolong my life. I'm not suicidal, Chris, but I can see what's being done to my country and to my grandchildren with all of this transgender garbage. They're flooding us with Muslims. And yes, people may call me racist, but I do not want any more Muslim immigration into Australia. They, our cultures just do not, are not compatible. The gender fluidity, our government is completely destroying our, our electricity system, our economics our way of life, and we can see thousands of people protest every weekend for the Palestinian movement, but I can't see any Australians protesting for this government to be sacked. I don't want okay. to be here. I'm hearing what you're saying, and you have every reason to feel down on your country, and I'm hearing the reasons why, but you can't say that every single Muslim who arrives in this country is somehow bad for it, because I've got some uh, Muslim contacts who I know for for one, appreciate the country that they now live in and live as part of the Australian culture, uh, borrowing from what they have learnt since they've been here. And they're very successful um, in terms of their work profession and they contribute to the community. Now, there are some who bring in their extreme Islamic views who should be kicked out of the country. I agree with you and concur on that one. Well, when I see the Muslim... When I see anybody from the Muslim community condemn what happened on October 7th, I'll change my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. What, was ha what occurred on the steps of the Opera House was not right, and some have been arrested and not enough. I saw yes, it but, with my own but, eyes but, as well. No, Glenn, I've got to get to Mark Latham. I'm already five minutes over time. I've got to get to Mark. But thank you for your call, and I understand how you're feeling.
uh, the questions about your own country and whether we're going down the gurgler. Look, these are things that are being echoed to me in emails and in chat boxes all the time as we talk about the uh, future of Australia. People are concerned, really concerned, and especially when we've had various rallies and vigils where you've got people who are so-called pro-Palestinian calling for the death of the Jews and to repeat the Holocaust. I'm sorry, that cannot be allowed in a country like ours. This is TNT Radio. Chris Smith and Mark Latham on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. All right, I've got independent New South Wales MP. He's in the upper house of the New South Wales Parliament, Mark Latham, MLC. Mark, sorry about that. Sorry we came to you a little bit late, but we just had a run on call, which is often a good thing. Sorry, Chris. I'm probably here till 3 a.m. tomorrow morning with late night sittings, our last sitting of the year for the New South Wales Parliament. So we're uh, very patient people. I was just wondering when you told me that today, that this is the last day of sitting, Given the fact that it is the final day, am I being unfair in saying there hasn't been enough work done on the floor of the House in 2023? Oh, absolutely. There were Tuesday nights you'd normally sit till 10pm. We were going home at 6pm. There were Thursdays where the government didn't have legislation on its agenda. And again, we got an early mark. But as with the former government, both Labor and Liberal do this, uh, they've loaded up a last day of uh, legislative items to try and stampede the upper house into getting through them quickly and passing them so we can go home. Well, we're not going to be stampeded. We do scrutinise legislation and that government tactic has grown a bit tired and tawdry, uh, but it does mean a late night uh, because that's the way they're doing it. One of the bills that you scrutinised personally was the net zero bill that was passed. You managed to get an amendment included, did you? Yeah, the Labor Party, remarkably, in setting up a net zero commission to give advice about the implementation of this policy, where otherwise they can't tell us what it will achieve, what it will cost or how much land it will use, they overlooked putting in the mandate of this new commission and the advice concern for uh, equity, social justice and the circumstances of low income earners. Wouldn't you think the Labor Party would be worried about low income earners, particularly people renting who can't afford insulation, energy efficiency, uh, can't pay their bills, uh, pensioners in the window who can't turn on their heating. Isn't this a big concern? Why would we be going to net zero if pensioners in Australia who have served their country well can't afford to turn on their heating and, and, and they're literally shivering to death? So, mm. you know, these are major problems that the government wasn't going to consider with this new commission and my amendment at least was carried to give some regard to that. Yeah, good. There's no regard to any other factors when it comes to green evangelism, is there? It's almost as if... Well, wind turbines get pre- get preference now over whales. Um, everything associated with reaching net zero is the priority and everything else can just get out of the way. It is wrong and it'll send us broke. Yeah, it's like a cult. The environmentalists go to the Committee of Inquiry and make submissions to the parliament saying that don't worry about low-income earners, don't worry about pensioners who can't turn on their heating, don't worry about equity and social justice issues out of net zero. Uh, the planet is about to be destroyed we must save it and forget about the poor. Well, the planet's not about to be destroyed. That's nonsense. And you can never forget about the poor because what sort of society are we if uh, the low-income earners are totally totally neglected in this massive policy of what I think is an unnecessary economic transformation? Yeah. I want to look at what's happening in the Middle East in a very different way, if I may. And 
as it applies to schools in Australia. Now, a Sydney humanities and global politics teacher has written today in a newspaper that seven weeks ago, her students began to ask her about Palestine. But she says the school management sent all teachers an email telling them to not speak about the conflict in the Middle East. Instead, it suggested they deflect student questions by expressing our gratitude for being in Australia and saying that we did not know much about the conflict. Uh, well, forget about it. First of all, it's it's telling you to lie. Um, but I know it's a controversial issue, but boy, oh boy, you've got to address it as long as you address both sides, don't you? Well, address both sides, but also most importantly, teach to the curriculum. The schools aren't there run by the students. It's, it's not as if the school day is occupied entirely by the topics the students want to discuss. Now, I'm sure yeah. they want to discuss Palestine. They probably also want to discuss the Cricket World Cup, the Kardashians, yes. the, um, the Sexy Housewives of Sydney show, I don't know, whatever's on TV or whatever that meme comes up on their phone. Kids will want to discuss everything uh, except, you know, math, science, history, geography, the subjects that are in the curriculum. So the best advice for the teachers is that, yes, give a brief summary of both sides if there's an overwhelming fascination among the students and then remind them they're at the school to learn the subjects that help them get a job and a good career and good opportunities in life, and that's the school curriculum. We're not there to discuss uh, Palestine or the Ukraine or Donald Trump um, or uh, any TV show or meme or bit of trivia that you want to throw forward. Uh, we're here to study the curriculum and get good results for you so you can get a good start in life. And yet the Victorian and the New South Wales Teachers Unions are encouraging teachers to tell the story or the issue um, from the pro-Palestinian side. Well, the conflicts in the Middle East are inherently complex, and to give them justice and full explanation will take a whole school week. You know, the, the, these are intractable problems that the greatest diplomats in the history of uh, this century and, and, and the previous century have been unable to solve. Yeah. No, so, you know, that's not for the school to pretend that it's, um, you know, the, the, the work of um, a great uh, uh, diplomatic explanation. It's the, the role of the teachers to teach, teach the things that are in the curriculum. Yeah, so you yeah. can't be distracted from that. I think parents would have a view on what role teachers should have with this conflict being taught in the classroom. As Dennis Shanahan wrote today, Mark, on the Australian newspaper, the Albanese government has gone to the grubbiest of gutters in its latest and desperate campaign to destroy Peter Dutton. The Home Affairs Minister has accused the opposition leader of protecting pedophiles over children and being an apologist for child sex offenders. Another minister doubled down on that this morning. They get dirty when the heat gets turned up in the kitchen, don't they? Yeah, well, it is very dirty, and it's outside the facts of the matter that uh, there was a, a pedophile who Dutton kept in detention the entire time. Uh, it's been released under Labor because of this absurd High Court decision. But the pedophile we're talking about was stateless. He didn't have a, a country to be de deported back to. Yeah. So what, what, what can you do? If, if you can't deport the person, the best thing is to keep a pedophile off the street, obviously, and keep them in indefinite detention, yeah. which is what Peter Dutton did as the minister. Yeah. And it just highlights the tragedy of this high court decision to say, oh, he's a pedophile, we can't deport him, uh, put him out there in the community. Yeah. The facts simply don't um, match the truth in both... Claire O'Neill and the other minister from Newcastle, they both got stuck into him and they're just barking up the wrong tree and clearly trying to deflect their own inadequacies about this issue. Well, yeah, it's a 
piece of desperation to counter-attack on Peter Dutton, but the substance of it is the High Court made the decision and the government was completely flat-footed and unprepared for what it meant and had to rely on opposition amendments and opposition legislative clauses to make sure that these uh, pedophiles were, sure, notionally released, but had such strict controls around them that they were still under some kind of detention. Yeah. So the government ministers, uh, you know, what do they do all day? If they weren't anticipating the High Court decision <laughs> and had, uh, 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 you know, the proper reaction to it, there's no point blaming Peter Dutton. They, they need to look in the mirror. They should have had plan A and plan B ready to go, but they didn't even have uh, the first step planned. Um, I've got to take a quick break. We'll come back with you, Mark. I want to talk about the dumping, the axing of Welcome to Country in a local council. That and more with Mark Latham right after a break on TNT Radio. Jeremy now on TNT Radio. Being South African, I'm, I know the situation and it's incredibly dire. Basically, our farmers, mostly white, have been under attack for years and years and years. And when I say attack, I mean that physically, don't I? Yes. Um, since the dawn of democracy in South Africa, since 1994, we had an average of uh, one farm attack every second day. Um, so it averages around uh, 175 to 190 farm attacks every year. And we had a farm murder on average every fifth day. Um, but over the last few months, both of those numbers have picked up. Murders in other sectors of society are not accompanied by the same levels of brutality and torture as you will find in farm murders. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. thelightpaper.co.uk TNTradio.live Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. I've got Mark Latham with me right now. A large South Australian council has become the first to axe the Welcome to Country acknowledgement at its meeting since the Voice to Parliament referendum was defeated. Northern Areas Council, which is about 200 k's north of Adelaide, passed a motion this month to remove the official acknowledgement from meetings and all correspondence. Um, councillors say they've dumped the ritual because Australia was one country. I am all for that, Mark Latham. Yeah, we're all jack of hearing welcome to country because it's oh. completely irrelevant to solving the real problems of Indigenous communities. It's uh, normally the elite's virtue signalling and trying to get a warm inner glow over a welcome to country. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's an insult. If you're born here, how do you get, how do you get welcome to your own country? So that in itself um, is, is, is good to hear the abolition. But, Chris, you might remember during the debate about the voice, Marsha Langton said, uh, and it was a wonderful threat, that if the voice wasn't carried... Uh, they would punish us by getting rid of the <laughs> welcome to country. Well, all I can say is, is flog me to the ground, flog me to the ground and and, and fulfil that promise. So maybe the council in South Australia has, has listened also to Marsha Langton and yeah. I hope right around the country, Marsha's wishes, her promise 
of getting rid of the welcome to country is implemented and I'm very happy to be punished for voting no. Yeah, my my response at the time was, you promise? You promise? What about when you go to a sporting event, they do the welcome to country and they stretch it out. They say, welcome, welcome, welcome. They might say the word welcome 18 times before they finish the acknowledgement. It's just a stupid thing to do and it's not anything associated with Indigenous tradition. It was made up by Ernie Dingo about 20 years ago. Yeah, well, it's got nothing to do with the footy or the cricket or the tennis, so let's just get on with the game. Yeah, and a lot of people on the chat line are saying, fancy being welcomed into our own country. Lozzie, thank you. I never did understand or go along with that BS. Can you believe, Mark, that this bedwetting ABC health commentator, Norman Swan, is now telling viewers and listeners on the ABC, he's getting interviews left, right and centre, to wear masks again this Christmas? A fat lot of good they do. Yeah, they didn't work the first time. Why would they work now? So it's quite ridiculous uh, what's going on. And Norman Swan, he was a panic merchant wrong most of the time about COVID, and yeah. it's happened again. But, Chris, that's a um, that's a division on the Industrial Relations Amendment Bill. That you better go. Vote. And the bills are obviously a nuisance. So it's been yeah. great talking, but I think we're going to have to cut this a bit short, I'm, I'm afraid to say, because well, you go now, mate. You... democracy. Yes, exactly. You go now. Fantastic to have you on, mate. We'll catch up next week. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Chris. Good on you. Mark Latham, MLC. The bells are ringing. It happens quite often in the federal parliament when we're speaking with Holly Hughes. When they have to go, they have to go. I did want to ask Mark, and he's got an economics degree, Mark Latham, um, and I won't get a chance to do it, but I did want to talk to him about what the OECD has said about the economy in Australia. Um, for those who are well aware, the new Reserve Bank governor has been talking about raising interest rates even more. And of course, this only affects 30% of Australians uh, in total. They're the ones that have owner-occupied mortgages, and they're the ones where the mortgages are increased um, as the interest rates go up. And the Reserve Bank raises these interest rates with the view to pushing down inflation, except that 70% of the rest of the community just keeps spending, as does the government on wages, and inflation goes up. And right now, inflation in Australia is heading in the upward direction as opposed to the downward direction, although the last inflation number this week was a better indication of where we might be headed. But the OECD has basically said um, that the RBA does not need to inflict any more pain on home buyers. And we'll probably have to start cutting interest rates next year. Are you listening, Reserve Bank Governor? Uh, in a new report, it says inflation pressures are starting to ease and believes the official cash rate has peaked at its current level of 4.35%. They're predicting rates will be cut by three quarters of a percentage point through the second half of 2024 and into early 2025. Um, but what's the bet that the elites inside the RBA don't like to be told what they should be doing with interest rates. What's the bet that that's exactly what they're discussing and thinking? We can punish middle Australia if we want to. Well, sorry, punishing middle Australia does bugger all to move interest rates. That's a fact. It's a blunt instrument and it has no impact on interest rates. I've always said that. And uh, now that only 30% of Australians are involved in having an owner-occupied mortgage, um, I'm even more convinced of it. Uh, Auto, uh, Ort One, Ort One says on our chat line, Mark, like most politicians, worked out where the cash flow is. 
I don't blame him, but he ain't no Trump. If he was, he would be in the private sector. Well, Mark Latham tells, um, uh, basically tells more truths than I have heard from any politician I have interviewed over many, many decades. Let me tell you. And this is why he's on this program, because he's not afraid to tell the truth, even if it means he gets into hot water. And some of the things he said on this program have got him into hot water, let me tell you. And a lot of you would know what I'm talking about. Um, we spoke about China a little earlier. Um, the World Health Organization is requesting more data from China. Good luck with that. Amid an outbreak of pneumonia in children. Uh, the WHO epidemiologist said the agency was following up with China as hospitals across the country continue to be overwhelmed. Face masks and social distancing are again being recommended in the secretive nation in a chilling echo of the early days of COVID. The country is grappling with a spike in pneumonia dubbed white lung syndrome because of the way lung damage shows up on scans among children that has been attributed to a rebound in respiratory illnesses rather than an entirely new virus. So they're saying it's connected to COVID-19. I don't know whether they know that, but that's what they're saying. Um, it is a drama because I've just had a look at some of the Chinese websites and boy, oh boy, is there panic in some of the major cities in China. There are hospitals full of people crawling over each other to get some kind of treatment and attention. Um, it's full on. You can look it up yourself. Oh. Now, the Chinese government is saying that those images of people being very frantic, some of their key hospitals, is not an indication of a, a panic or an outbreak? Of course not, except it looks terrifying to me. I'm just opening up, opening up the uh, article that I saw very early today, and you've got all these mask-wearing people in massive crowds um, at Chinese hospitals panicking because of the chaos over pneumonia at the moment. And good luck to the WHO trying to find any information or data from the Chinese government. I want to go to Andrew McGowan very quickly. Andrew, go right ahead. Smithy, I thought I'd call you before I get arrested and I'm in oh. jail. Why? What are you doing? Mate, did you get my email yesterday? 20 <sighs> to 25 times I've had my assistance animals in Parliament House. Never been a problem. Right. Yesterday, I was escorted into Parliament House to watch the apology to Fordermine uh, survivors and victims, yep. Yep. only to be manhandled by federal police and thrown uh. out of the building. Mate, I am going back on Monday. Unfortunately, I had my paperwork for all my dogs blow out the window and a truck ran over it, so I've been replacing that today. I'm going back on Monday, and I'm prepared to take the arrest. Right, so you you've know, got the paperwork, though. But Once you've got the mate, paperwork on Monday, got... they mightn't react the same way. Mate, I have got more paperwork on my dogs than you and I have to live in this country because we were born right. here. Right. right. Now, I'm serious. There is not a disability liaison officer at Parliament House. Every politician that I've ever met, Andrew, you need anything, you give me a call. They were all absent yesterday. Not one of them came to my help. I'm oh, rethinking right. this whole thing about running for Parliament because, mate, I don't want to be a person who doesn't care and doesn't give a shit about Australians. What well, I'm thinking of pathetic? doing... pathetic? Mate, I, I am so disgusted. I rang Bill Shorten's office because he's the Minister for 
NDIS, NDIS is the closest thing we have to a Minister for Disability. 25% of Australians have a disability. Most of us have an invisible disability. And there is not a Minister to represent us. You can't even ring someone and get assistance to help you because you have a disability. Even though most government departments have a DLO, a Disability Liaison Officer. I'm thinking of educating Australians. Mate, there are 27 million people out there who could be armed and we could make a difference because every time you ring a politician, you know the statistics, Smithy. I think it's one to five, isn't it? If one person rings, they count that as five constituents feel the same way. If you write, it's 10. It's a multiplication factor. We need as, an, as Australians to write, to ring our parliamentarians mm. and to say, this is not good enough. No matter what mm. your issue is, get yep. vocal, phone, email, mail, annoy the crap out of them. Yeah. Because, because you and I, Smithy, it was about time our government started to govern and not dominate. Yeah. I've had a very, very well said. Can you call me on Monday and, fi- and tell me how you go? I certainly will. All right. Good on you, Andrew. I've got to get to some news, but thank you very much for calling. He will call me on Monday. You can bet on it. Let's get some uh, news for you on TNT Radio. Here's what's making news. news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Sweden could become a full-fledged member of NATO within weeks after Turkey Air signalled it was ready to ratify the Nordic nation's accession. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has come under fire for failing to stand up for Australian soldiers following this month's run-in with a Chinese warship. And a new bombshell report has revealed the CIA has recovered at least nine UFOs, two of which are said to be completely intact. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Just before we talk about women's rights, I do want to tell you what's been going on in the COVID inquiry in London because it is about masks again and we know what a bedwetter Norman Swan is from the ABC. He was scaring the producers out of everyone during the pandemic, even at times when lockdowns were about to be broken up. But no, 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 we've got to lock down even more. This is dangerous. Uh, Well, sorry, Uh, people should have the choice to take their own lives into their own hands, but we didn't get that choice in so many ways. Anyway, Boris Johnson described guidance on face coverings as bollocks. The COVID inquiry heard as it emerged a top scientist contested the government's advice on masks during the pandemic. So they had a top scientist saying, hold on a second, it is a virus. Um, You know, the only thing a mask does is stop you from spitting on someone, and that is the only way you can possibly contract a virus from another person. So in terms of being spat at, the mask works. But other than that, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, your social distancing from someone who might have a virus is still a sensible thing to do. But anyway, in her testimony to the inquiry on Wednesday, Professor Dame Jenny Harries, 
who was the deputy chief scientific advisor during the crisis, admitted that evidence on the effectiveness of face coverings was still uncertain. This is a top scientist. The hearing was shown an extract from the diary of Sir Patrick Valance, the former chief medical officer, which referred to a meeting in July 2021, right in the heart of the pandemic, where cabinet ministers discussed the dropping of all COVID restrictions. Reflecting on the meeting, Sir Patrick wrote, PM says what we will do if we make masks voluntary. What will ministers say they will do? Sometimes I will, sometimes I won't wear one. Are we going to encourage people to wear masks? Are we going to continue with this bollocks? The diary entry was shown during evidence given by Sajid Javid, who took over from Matt Hancock as health secretary during the pandemic. Earlier in the day, the inquiry heard evidence from the professor who said in her witness statement that while face coverings were eventually used in Britain as a precautionary tool, the evidence base for their use in community settings was and still is to some degree uncertain. How much more evidence do we need that what we were told to do in ensuring that we wore masks or else was rubbish and we shouldn't have been following that kind of direction? Now, too often, the very aggressive voices of transgender activists outside and within the education system can be construed as the norm, the overwhelming culture within a school or district. But most fair-minded people know that to be untrue, and it's so gratifying to see parents and students right across the world pushing back against these dangerous gender policies in schools. But this week, pro-transgender activism won the day in Florida. This occurred at the Monarch High School in Coconut Creek, which is about 15 miles north of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And it's an illustration of how entrenched transgender entitlement has become, aided, of course, by militant, woke and virtue-signalling education unions who ensure that their members, the Teachers of America, do all they can to give biological men all the entitlements of biological women. Well, on Tuesday at noon, the students of Monarch filed out of their classrooms and onto the school's football field. Some held signs in favour of trans rights, while others chanted, trans lives matter. The protest came a day after the high school's principal and four other staffers were reassigned to non-school sites. They were given the yellow card allegedly because they let a transgender student, a biological boy, compete on its girls' volleyball team. So basically, the schools, the, the students have gone out in sympathy with the transgender student and their demoted teachers. So who's right in this case? And I wonder what the volleyball team thinks about competing against a biological male. The person that did the story didn't interview them. To discuss this and more in this space, I'm joined now by Stephanie Bastian, a research fellow at the Women's Forum Australia. Now, Stephanie is a wife, mother, and is very forthright on the issue of women's rights, healthcare, and education. Stephanie, welcome to TNT Radio. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I've been buoyed by what some parents are doing in the United States, taking their school boards and even the state to court over these issues. Some students too. They're speaking out about the unfairness of biological men competing in women's sport and about biological men being allowed in their change rooms as well. But in Florida, where the laws forbid such participation, thanks to 
uh, Governor DeSantis, these kids have rebelled. What are your thoughts on what happened there? Well, it's quite clear there has been considerable pushback, particularly from international sporting bodies. You've got the international swimming body and even last week, uh, the International Cricket Association. Yeah. And they have pushed back on having, they've, they've created uh, laws that have made uh, sport more fair. What we're seeing happen with the Monarch School is that there are children that are being you can see the the edu the education system, the gender ideology and education system is heavily entrenched. Yep. So one of the students mentioned that they needed to be seen supporting trans bodies. They had LGBTI clubs at schools and they needed to show their support for trans. That says to me that the education system is pushing these political agendas. The fact that you have the school principal and four other members of staff that are involved in this investigation that allow a, tr a trans play a, a boy who identifies as a girl play on the girls volleyball team says to me that this is a widespread problem in the school now if you have a look at um what this means in terms of the volleyball players now comparing male and female volleyball the net for male volleyball is considerably higher than female volleyball this is because men can jump higher they have a stronger push for the ball. It's a very they good can, point you're making. They're much higher. There is physiological differences that mean that the competition, the rules around the competition are different. So imagine being a female athlete who goes and trains and then turns up and has to compete against a biological boy that has physical advantages. That is why Florida and 20, I believe 21 other states in the US have passed these laws to protect women's sport. And quite frankly, we need them here in Australia because at the moment, with all our anti-discrimination, with gender being inserted into our anti-discrimination legislation, these bodies are actually not protected from ensuring that sporting clubs are a safe space for women to compete, for girls to compete. So uh, Senator Ch Claire Chandler has introduced a bill to save women's sport. I believe it's currently on hold. But until we pass legislation such as in Florida, we are not going to be able to ensure that, that that sport is a fair and safe space for women and girls. You'd have to agree that politicians don't like to go down these tracks because they're too controversial, right? And so they don't want to lose votes. So they're trying to work out what side they should be on instead of going with their gut feel about what is scientifically, biologically right. That is, you can't change your sex uh, that is binary, and it doesn't matter how many drugs you pump into yourself or what is cut off or what is it, what appendage you have, you can't change your sex. Uh, and yet politicians don't want to, um, you know, you talk about Claire Chandler's bill being set aside. They'd much rather keep setting it aside. And look what's happening in the UK, Stephanie. They've been, we were expecting the UK government to come out with a proper guideline, a template for teachers right across the UK back in July, and it still hasn't happened. They still can't make a template or a decision on this. It's about time politicians grew a set and started to say, right, we're going to contend with this. We're going to say that this is biologically the way we want to put our guidelines together and the teachers have to follow suit. Absolutely. I mean, politicians and the media are equally complicit in the fact that, A, there's, there's, there's a number of issues here. First of all, children are being told that they can change their sex. They can't. They are undergoing medical treatment to change sex. They are changing their sex and they're coming to regret it because all that they were promised hasn't come into fruition. 
Secondly, this ideology is being taught in schools. It is entrenched in every curriculum. Yeah. It is in, you have activist teachers promoting this on campus. I know there are parents whose four-year-old children in kindergarten in Victoria are being taught about the gender fairy and, and, and being encouraged to explore their gender identity and all the rest of it. So we do need guidelines. What we need is guidelines that get the political activism out of the classroom. Yes. We need proper medical guidelines to help treat these children properly. And we need to address the fact that the education system and social media are promoting these dangerous ideologies to our students. Yeah, exactly. I want to take a quick break and come back with you because I want to talk about these councils in Australia that are trying to have more trans meetings set up that uh, have access to our school children. And I also want to talk to you about um, what's happening in South Australia. Some significant decisions about to be made on gender dysphoria. We'll talk about that in just a second after taking a break. Back with Stephanie Bastian on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. CNBC co-anchor Andrew Ross Sorkin is, well, very annoying. In the most annoying way, as a matter of fact. And here he is being super annoying, going after House Speaker Mike Johnson on the issue of his faith. I think it was the first day that uh, you had been uh, sworn in. It appeared uh, that you had were praying uh, on the floor uh, of Congress with a number of other uh, congressmen. And there is a question about the separation of of church and state. One thing to, to pray outside and to, and to have your faith, and, and, and there's a great importance in that. But how do you think about that? And how do you think about the public perception of that? See, annoying, but Johnson schooled him. When the founders set this system up, they wanted a vibrant expression of faith in the public square because they believed that uh, a general moral consensus and virtue was necessary to maintain this grand experiment in self-governance that we created, a government of, by, and for the people. We don't have a king in charge. We don't have a middleman. So we've got to keep morality amongst us so that we have accountability. And so they, they wanted faith to be a big part of that. The, the separation of church and state is a, is a misnomer. People misunderstand it. Of course, it comes from a phrase that was in a letter that Jefferson wrote. It's not in the Constitution. Proof once again that facts Trump annoying every time. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Tune in to my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio Vision. My dad was a farmer. The guy was bigger than life. He wasn't someone that liked to show his emotion or liked to show when he was struggling. But we all struggle. I want to show emotion to my kids. It's something that brings me so much joy and I want them to see me working through things. Allow your kids to know that it's okay to struggle, that even dad doesn't know the answer sometimes, but we're gonna figure it out together. Where the story goes, we follow. Chris Smith on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Just a reminder, when I finish here, in around about 13 minutes time, you'll be in the safe hands of Dean Macken. He is back on the airwaves, looking forward to his hour. He'll be then followed by Lembit Opic and then the one and only, the fabulous Katie Hopkins has returned to TNT Radio as well after a sojourn around the world dealing with other major fabulous issues. But she's back in the chair behind the microphone and she'll be on later on as well. And big news for us here, if you've only just joined us for this hour and weren't with us in the first hour, uh, TNT has just passed the 10 million mark for downloads on podcasts, which is quite amazing considering the fact that this concept is less than two years old. We've had 
10 million downloads, which is um, very, very exciting indeed. All right, I've got Stephanie Bastian with me. Um, Stephanie is a member of Women's Forum Australia. Now, I want to ask you about what's going on with councils in Australia. There seems to be a push for more drag shows by councils. I've got no idea why it would interest local councils at all, considering the fact that all they should be focused on is roads, rates and rubbish. Um, but apparently um, they are wanting to have more connection with drag shows in their community, and that involves also with children. You were posting about this this week, that drag shows started out as men dressing up and mocking exaggerated female stereotypes for entertainment, and now it seems we are expected to take them seriously and let them entertain our kids. What are your thoughts on this? What, what are councils up to? Look, uh, it's it's quite interesting. So obviously my opposition to this is the fact that ratepayers are expected to cough up. Now, I yes. do believe that uh, drag queens are adult entertainment if a parent wants to take their child to a drag show, that's on them. But I shouldn't have to fund for it. I shouldn't have to fund it. Um, but, I mean, in councils in general, they are subscribing to these agendas. So, for example, in Victoria, we have an organisation called Rainbow Votes. Now, Rainbow Votes expects councils to sign up and they want them to it, fulfil these different agendas. So it costs about 200000 for a council to get an accreditation and then they're expected to implement all these different things, fly the flag, have these uh, pride-friendly events and all the rest of it. Um, and so what we're seeing here is that these drag shows are part of that. They're proving that they're part of this ideology, but it's all coming at an outrageous cost to ratepayers. And for what purpose? What purpose? Well, it's to prove that they're they're LGBTI friendly. It's oh, it's, it's extremely God. divisive. It doesn't actually. It is not the role of government, any arm of government, to be promoting these ideals and expecting taxpayers to fund it. There are far more important things at a state level. They may could maybe they can fix the hospital system. Perhaps at local government they could actually get the bins out or fix the roads. There are so many problems, and they're expecting ratepayers to cough up for all these social agendas. It is absolutely disgraceful. Yeah, I think it is. And I thought what was disgraceful was the former Premier of Victoria, Chairman Dan Andrews, bringing in those primary school children into Spring Street and bringing in a drag queen and giving them a show. Now, I wouldn't care whether my year 11 and year 12 um, kids were exposed to this. They could even go to a drag show and talk about it. I thought I would have thought that the conversation between uh, that age group in the classroom would be rather fascinating. So that's fine but not primary school kids. It's above their level. Absolutely. It is highly inappropriate. Uh, it is highly inappropriate for kids to be exposed to this stuff. And the fact of the matter is these, this political ideology does not belong in, in schools. It does not belong in the classroom. No. It is actually, it is, it is corrupting children and, and, and their, their worldview particularly in the fact that these drag queens promote dangerous ideas. Now, with the rise in social media and everything else, they follow these social media 
personalities. They're following these profiles online yep. and they are then exposed to all the other adult content. Quite often they come with mature adult names. Yep. Um, the whole thing is just highly inappropriate for children. Uh, I couldn't agree more. The councils need to wake up to themselves and if they're forced by their governments to do all of this, they should change the rules and voice their disapproval. Now, what is going on in South Australia? Um, South Australian MP Frank Pangallo moved a motion in the Upper House recently calling for a committee to be formed to investigate support and treatment for young people struggling with gender dysphoria. He's one of three Australian MPs this year uh, joining more redeeming from Victoria and another South Australian Senator, Alex Antic, to request an urgent parliamentary inquiry into what has become, Stephanie, a medical scandal, because as we've seen in the UK and the United States, too many kids are being encouraged to transition to other genders, and it's got to stop. Absolutely. Well, the science is not settled on this. The activists will tell you that it is, but what we are seeing is an increase in detransitioners, people who have come out and they regret their surgeries. Yes. They regret the implications of the medication that they're taking, the cross-sex hormones and all the rest of it. And a lot of these things cannot be reversed. So once you have a double um, mastectomy, you cannot fix that. You can't, if you if you want to become on, go on and become a mother, you cannot breastfeed your children. If you have a hysterectomy, you lose your fertility. If you take drugs that thicken your vocal cords, you cannot undo that. The science is not settled. The fact that there is a social contagion element means that this whole method of treatment needs to be investigated. Uh, Victoria moved a motion to have an investigation. It was blocked by the Greens and the left on council uh, on in the chamber. Um, federally, uh, Alex Antic tried to refer his bill to a federal Senate inquiry. It was blocked again. They throw out all these labels of hate and transphobia. But at the end of the day, if we don't get an inquiry up, more and more children are going to be harmed. And we're going to end up like the UK that have ceased all their medical treatments now because the truth is coming out. Yeah. Sweden, all these other countries have now reversed their decision. They're seeing the long-term implications. We're not seeing that in Australia because our medical system aren't tracking the long-term consequences of these treatments. There is no data. I mean, the fact is you can't even tell. So we have a program in, in Victoria called Doctors in Schools. More and more doctors are now prescribing, GPs are prescribing these drugs to children. We don't know how many under Medicare are being treated now for gender dysphoria because they're Outrageous. not going through the gender clinics anymore. We need to we need to investigate. So I really hope that uh, the South Australian motion gets up. It needs to, we need an inquiry so we know exactly what's going on. Every state and territory should be going down this path to ensure that kids' lives aren't ruined forever. It is just a shocker. And it, there was a Dutch study, I think, and I was telling our listeners, my listeners about this, uh, I think about two months ago, a Dutch study done where puberty blockers were found to have uh, be far more you know, medically dangerous than what they were originally thought as. And, you know, that in itself is reason to to stop administering, prescribing this kind of treatment for kids who are simply going through what most of us went through when we went through puberty, which is a, a messed up sexual appreciation for who we are. OK, we'll get through it. We'll get we'll get we'll, we'll work it out with a little bit of help, help from parents, help from others. But don't start. You know, kids are very, very suggestible. And if you start saying something about a child, 
enough times, they will take it on board as truth. And they are so suggestible, aren't they? Absolutely. And the largest cohort of transitioners in terms of minors are actually 11 to 15-year-old girls. Now, when you look at all the other elements of this ideology, the fact that females are no longer entitled to have their own spaces and sport. Mm. Boys are being prioritised, boys who identify as women. Girls are often coming from a position where they have other other issues, autism or histories of trauma. None of those things are being looked at. Meanwhile, you have boys who are transitioning or identifying into girls' spaces. And the fact of the matter is this whole thing is wrong and it's dangerous and our politicians who are not doing enough to champion this cause, need to do more. It's we interesting. One of my listeners one this. of my listeners has just said on the chat box that these doctors should be charged with child abuse. Right now in the United States, there are dozens of cases where detransitioning adults are taking clinics and the doctors that convince them to change gender to the court and they will end up having to pay a mozza for what they did to those children. Absolutely. Well, I hope that they do go down that path. In fact, there are insurers who are refusing to insure this treatment because of the risks. But what do you do in a state like Victoria? Victoria passed uh, conversion therapy laws that include the medical transition of minors, that includes gender treatment. So if they don't medically transition minors, they're up for jail time. New South Wales is introducing legislation to implement the exact same thing. So who do they sue? The doctors? Do they sue the government? Can the doctors sue the government for putting them under this duress of the law? Uh, How do you fix this? Unless, you know, the whole thing's a mess. The AMA came out when Victoria passed their laws. They were passed, by the way, without consulting the Australian Medical Association. They were very concerned because it meant that they couldn't uh, approach gender dysphoria with a holistic model to treat. And a holistic model might look like perhaps allowing a child to explore their dress, change their name, their pronouns without that physical change. Uh, that is now conversion therapy. So until un- until we change these laws and until we get an inquiry that exposes exactly what's going on, there's nothing that we can, there's very little that we can do. Yeah, some of the politicians need to get out from their, under their desk and start grappling with these issues, you know, do their due diligence, do their homework and make the right decision for the children. Uh, who are being taken into areas they shouldn't be taken into. Thank you so much for your time, Stephanie. It's great to have you on the program. Thanks for having me, Chris. No no problem. Stephanie Bastian, as I said, Stephanie is working with a great group of women on women's rights and a group in Australia who are called the Women's Forum Australia. And you can follow them on various social media platforms. They make... um, a lot of sense when it comes to some of the big stories surrounding women's rights. Stephanie Bastian will have on the program again. I can promise you that. I've almost run out of time. The 10-month-old baby held cost- hostage in Gaza. You may remember this, and there was an outrage in Tel Aviv at the time about taking a 10-month-old baby hostage. Well, that baby has been killed, according to Hamas, as Israel's Prime Minister vowed to return to all-out war. Uh, Kifa Bibis, the youngest person to be taken hostage, died in captivity alongside his four-year-old brother, Ariel, and their mother, Shira, according to what Hamas has said. I wonder whether Hamas is telling the truth. Maybe you know the answer to that question. 
The Israeli Defence Forces said it was investigating the claims and was in touch with the surviving family. You'd like to know exactly what occurred to that group and what happened to that poor baby. How dare they take any hostages, apart from the fact of barbarically murdering so many Israelis on October 7. I'm out of here. I'll leave you in the hands of Dean Mackin. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. Listener.